1 Samuel chapter 3, if you would, stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. We're going to look at the whole chapter, uh, but I'm going to read, uh, to begin our time, verses 8 uh, through 10. Hear the word of Christ to us. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that it was the Lord calling the young man. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Oh God, I pray during these moments as we open up your word as your church, as your people. God, we want to be a people of your word. We want to to know your word. We don't want to just have it. We don't want to just refer to it. We don't want to just look at it when we're feeling down. We don't want just tips for encouragement. God, we want to be a people shaped by it. Because we want to be shaped by the Spirit of Christ. We want to be more like Christ. And so, God, I pray from this moment forward, we would, with Samuel, say, Speak, for your servants here. So in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Maybe seat it. There were hundreds of people moving around in a very small place. And... Yet they became very blurry to me because I was in that panic state of having lost one of my children. Now, if you've been around here much, you know that's a common theme with the Haskins. We lose our kids quite often, uh, and that's just a part of it. We have six, and this isn't the same story you've heard before. This is a different story about losing another kid, so... But I was at opening day of the Jessamine County Cal Ripken Baseball League, and I was actually there to watch Luke and Will Prince. They were just 11 and 12 at the time, and I was there to watch their their baseball game. And I had Titus and Nathan with me, who were probably, I guess, five or six years old. And we began looking around, and we noticed, which is common, that Nathan was nowhere to be found. And I went from that state to, this happens a lot, he'll show back up, uh, to he hasn't shown back up, to I'm getting worried, to I'm getting panicked, to I just perused the ballpark, walked from one end to the other and didn't see him anywhere, to just all out, we need to notify the police, we need to have this announced. It was about a two-hour process going through all of those emotions, and here he comes comes walking up to me, and I get down and I look at him and say, where were you? He says, I was in the dugout. And he looked at me like, duh, we're we're at a baseball game. And I wanted to just get close to the action. And he just wandered in a dugout. And this was actually a dugout where he didn't know anybody in the dugout, as far as I know. But he wanted to go in the dugout and just hang out with the baseball players and, and watch the game. And here I am for two hours looking for him, uh, can't find him. And we've, I've said since then, this is at least one way Nathan is like Jesus. There's at least one way. 
because Jesus got lost. Uh, Jesus' parents felt the same way as we see in the Gospels. Uh, they made a trip to Jerusalem. And they, they went there for their annual uh, offering of sacrifice and worship. And Joseph and Mary, on their way back, they realized they haven't seen Jesus in a while. And, and they just assumed He was with friends. And, and they began to panic and they began to search for them. And finally, they find Him... And Jesus' response is very similar. We're in Jerusalem, right? We're, we're at the temple, right? Well, I'm just here doing my Father's business. What else would I be doing here? What, what, where else would I be? And, and they find Jesus in the temple, hearing from religious leaders, uh, learning the Word of God. And there is a phrase used in that story that is the same exact phrase used of Samuel throughout the first two chapters of this book. And it is a phrase used of Jesus that says, He grew in wisdom and stature before the Lord. And it's the same phrase that has been used over and over in these few chapters of this little boy Samuel who was left at the temple by his mother. Now he wasn't lost but he was given over to serve the Lord in the temple. That was going to be his work. She, in some sense, sacrificed her son to the service of God because God had blessed her barren womb with a child. And because God had given her this child, she had given him over to the Lord. And yet this prophet, Samuel, will be the one who calls God's lost son Israel into his presence. But we see here, what else would he be doing but the Lord's work? And in our story today, we see that that is what God calls him into. Notice verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Now, this word ministering... It is used throughout chapter 2, as we saw over and over. We, we see Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they are corrupt priests. They are actually stealing meat from the altar. They are making roast for their family at home, stealing from the Lord, stealing from the people of God, and they have turned the temple of God into a pagan temple of worship. It is a brothel. And they are useless, worthless priest. But over and over in chapter 2, what is said of Samuel? He is ministering before the Lord. This little boy, he, he is going to be raised up as a picture of what the priest should be before the Lord ministering the Word. Notice, in the presence of Eli. In, in last chapter we saw where Eli is just this distant old man who has no clue what his sons are doing. And yet there is Samuel in his presence. And notice, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there were no frequent visions. And this is a description of the prophetic word that is meant to come and rebuke Israel of their sin that is meant to come and turn them from their sin into the Lord over and over. Prophets are raised up to do this. And here there are no prophets speaking to the people of Israel. The Word of the Lord is rare. It's not to be found. And so there's no rebuke, no judgment, no promise, no comfort. God is silent. And we see in verse 1 that there is a form of judgment that involves the silence of God. 
that there are times where sin in the Bible mounts so greatly that God just stops speaking. And there's silence. And that's what's going on with Israel. The, the, the book of Judges describes this time as a time where everyone just simply did what was right in their own eyes. And God had raised up deliverers over and over to rescue them, to turn them back to Himself. And over and over, sin mounts. And it's, it's as if God just says, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to speak anymore. I'm not going to send any more prophets. And there's silence. No prophets. It's like when your dad says, when, when I'm correcting you, that is a form of love. Or when your coach says, I'm hard on you because I care about you and I want you to be better. You don't be worried when I'm coaching you, when I'm instructing you. You be worried when I go silent and I'm done with you. You be worried. And the same thing's going on with Israel. God has thrown His hands up. He's done. Their sin has mounted to a point where He is just silent. He is not speaking. But He's also distant. Notice verse 2. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim. He's, he's getting older. So that he could not see. He was lying down in his own place. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark was. Now notice the comparison. Eli is growing old. He can't see. He's in his own bed. But notice where Samuel is. Samuel, this young boy who is growing, who is vibrant, and he is lying down in the temple of the Lord. And notice where the ark is. The ark represented God's presence. It's where the Ten Commandment was. It was where the covenant was sealed between Israel and God. It represented God is here with us. And here you have this little boy sleeping in the presence of the Lord. And, and, and we, we wonder what God is trying to tell us here. There's no word. You have an old, worn-out priest who can't see. And remember what his role was to be? He is the one who sees and hears from God for the people. And now he can't see. And as we're going to see, he can't hear. He's useless. But God is raising up a prophet in His presence who will be used by Him for the people of God. But, but, but why this emphasis on no word, eyes growing dim, and notice the lamp of God had not yet gone out represented the presence of God with the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's flickering. It's fading. It's about to go out. What is God saying to the people? Again, I'm about done. I've stopped speaking. And just like I've stopped speaking, I'm about to re remove my presence totally. And we see this judgment of God where He removes the Word of God and in removing the Word of God, He removes His presence. And we have to understand that the presence of God always comes in the Word of God. The Word of God and the presence of God are always linked together in Scripture. If God is present, He will be speaking. If you hear God speaking, He is present. And the judgment here is God has stopped speaking, which means 
he is no longer going to be present with Israel. And we, in the, the Spirit of God, we say today, we have the presence of God. And how do we know we have the presence of God? Is it a fuzzy feeling? We just sense the presence of God? No, it's we have the Word of God. We say we have the presence of God because we have the Word of God to us. Who wrote the Word of God? The Spirit of God. The presence of God. And so when we read and we preach the Word of God, what we are saying is Jesus Christ Himself is present. This is the Word of Christ to us. And so a church that doesn't preach the Word of God has inherently judged themselves. Because when they stop preaching the Word of God, God is no longer present. The moment the Word of God is not preached is the moment the presence of God is removed from the church. It's no longer there. But the same thing goes on in our own life. The moment you disconnect yourself from the Word of God, you are choosing to disconnect yourself from the presence of God. You are pushing the presence of God away. We know Jesus through the Word of God. And it is the presence of the Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, that transforms us into, the, into His image through the Word of God. And when we push that away, we are pushing His presence away. And so it's not just in the context of church life, where the Word of God may not be preached, where we may trade the gospel for legalism, and we, and we, we trade the presence of God for some self-righteousness, or churches that may trade the preaching of the Word of God for just tips. Just come in for some motivational tips. A pep, you know, a pep rally for Jesus. We're going we're gonna to give you some tips for living. And there's no emphasis on, what is God saying here? I'm not going to wrench it out of context to show you my vision for the church. No, what is Jesus' vision for the church? Let's dig in and find out what the Word of God says. It, it, it's not just when that stops happening that the presence of God has left the church, same thing's going on in some of your life. Some of you haven't read the Bible in weeks. You haven't dug in to say, what would Jesus have me to do? Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And there is to be a fear of judgment when that comes along in your life. Some of you have heard the call to follow Christ over and over. But you, you've come in here and you've had your friends talk to you about the gospel, about how Jesus changed their life. And they pleaded with you, follow Jesus. I want you to know forgiveness of sin. I want you to know Jesus. And you've pushed it away and you've rejected it and you've rejected it. And you should be fearful of the moment that you no longer can hear. Because when you no longer hear, the presence and power of God has been removed from that interaction. You should be fearful if you're irritated by people who try to hold you accountable to the Word of God. Those people in your life who take the Word of God and say, this is what God's called us to do, and I want to help you do that. And you're, you're at a point where you're just so annoyed by them. Would you just leave me alone? This is between me and God anyway. This is my business. And you've begun to ghost them. It's a new cool term. Vape them. You don't respond to their text messages. Somebody shook your head when I said vape. Maybe that's uh, 
some kind of drug or something, I don't know. You don't respond to them anymore. You see their name on your phone and you say, nope, not responding. I'm not even going to click on it so they won't know I read it. And you're pushing them away because you know they're bringing to bear on your life the words of Christ. You should be scared. Because not only are you pushing away those people and the Word of God, you're pushing away the presence of God. The presence of God always accompanies the Word of God. When the Word of God is presented, it is the presence of God that is there. And notice verse 4, we are to be present before the Word of God. Notice, then the Lord called Samuel and said, and he said, here I am. But notice, he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called. And he said, I did not call, lie down. And so he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am for you called. And he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Can you imagine? Now, has he fallen out of bed? What is going on? No, he's really old. You probably need one of those life alerts now. What, what is he talking about? Of course he called me. Who else is here? Who else would be in the temple but me and Eli? Notice verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Now remember Eli's sons, they did not know the Lord. But notice how this is phrased. They did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now remember, Eli's sons, the priest, they, they, the Lord had been revealed to them in the temple. And yet they did not know Him. Here, with Samuel, the Lord had yet to be revealed. That's why he didn't know Him. And yet the Lord is about to be revealed to him. Notice verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am for you called. And then Eli, finally, it's taken him a while, he perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And, and what we see in this context is others are being shunned from God's presence. God has promised in chapter 2 to remove His presence from the temple, to remove His presence from the priesthood. And now there's one being called into the presence of the Lord. And the point here with this calling back and forth and Samuel going into the presence of God and going out of the presence of God. Remember how the work of the priest was described in chapter 2? You're supposed to come in and out for the people. In and out for the people. And what is Samuel doing here in the presence of the Lord? He's going in and out of the presence of the Lord. The Lord is calling him into his presence as a picture of what the priests are to be. And then notice verse 9, Then Eli said to Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you again, you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came. And notice and stood calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Before the Lord God, speak, for your servant hears. No longer is Eli the mediator, by the way. The Lord is speaking directly to Samuel. 
And remember what Samuel's name means? It means the Lord hears. And now Samuel is declaring, I hear the Lord. And what we see there is a new day, a new mediator in Israel, one who the Lord has heard for the people and one who hears the Lord. But notice his response here. I'm here. Here I am over and over. Here I am. Here I am. And then speak for your servant hears. And the response of Samuel here is to be, is to be if the Lord is present, I'm going to be present. And I know the Lord is present because the Lord is speaking. And if the Lord is speaking, I'm going to be present. And there's a call here to be present before the Word of God. If we say when the Word of God is spoken, when the Word of God is read, when the Word of God is memorized, when we pull it out and we meditate on it, when we read it in our, in our morning devotionals, and as, as clear as it is preached in sermons, when we say, when the Word of God goes forth, the presence of God is there, our heart should be, I want to be present. If the Lord is present, I'm going to be present before the Word of God. I'm going to be all in. And, and the problem with this is we have trained ourselves to be so distracted in just about any kind of interaction with other people, any kind of conversation. We're, we're, we are a distracted people. And so to say when the Lord is present, when the Word of God is present, I'm going to be present, it's really hard for us. Because most of us walk around like this. Most of us sit down at dinner like this. What? What? We have something in our face all the time. And, and, and even beyond that, we're, we've mastered the art of distraction. Because we train ourselves to have interactions, even if it's driving down the road, we, we train ourselves to be distracted. And we train ourselves to be distracted in conversation. And so even when we put the phone down and someone's talking to us, we have no idea what they're saying. Because in our minds, we're thinking about what I'm going to say next. In our minds, we're thinking about where we're about to go. In our minds, we're thinking about, this is really stupid, this is a waste of time. And we train ourselves in that way. But if the Word of God is being preached, we have to be present physically, emotionally, spiritually. We have to train ourselves. When, when, I, when I come and I open up the Word of God in any context, where it's BFG, whether it's an accountability group, whether it's just me by myself, I open up the Word of God, I've got to be present. And so maybe we take these things and just throw them away when we're they're valuable for other things. But if it's to study the Word of God, maybe we have to leave them behind. Maybe we have to, because you know what? I open up my ESV app on here, and all of a sudden there are 20 notifications that I'm not disciplined enough to not check. And so maybe we have to get rid of distractions so we can be present before the Word of God. I have a friend on Twitter who every Saturday he puts out the phrase or the sentence, Sunday morning is a Saturday decision. Meaning, I decide whether I'm going to church on Saturday. 
most of the time. And I order my life on Saturday in preparation to get to church on Sunday. And if I want to get to church on Sunday, I will make the decision Saturday to do that. It's just a helpful reminder. But also, our Sunday morning disposition is a Saturday decision. If you have a big meeting tomorrow morning, what are you going to do today to get ready for it? You're going to plan. You're going to prepare. Some of you are going to skip BFG. You say, I've got to get ready for that meeting. I've got to plan. You're going to wake up. And you're, going to, you're going to have everything laid out. And you're going, to, you're going to make sure you leave the house on time. This is very hypocritical because today was a day I did not leave the house on time. I was doing all kinds of things, and I was like, Danae was running out the door, and I was like, where's she going? Oh, my word, I've got to get to church. <laughs> but, but we plan for those things. We prepare for those things. And what we say is, this is important. I've got to be all in. Well, if we say, when the Word of God is preached, God is present, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to prepare I'm going to get ready for that moment so I can be present before the Word of God and lean in and hear the Word of God. And it changes the way even the Word of God is preached. This is no trivial task. The Word of God has got to be preached in a way that says, God is present. And so we want the Word of God to be present. We want the people of God to be present. Because we want to be changed by the voice of Christ and so we get ready for it. We lean into it and we say, here I am, here I am God, speak for your servant listens. Notice verse 11, then here's what the Lord said. He said, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two of your ears, it will tingle. Now the word there is, it's like cringe. Meaning, when you hear what I'm about to do, it's going to scare you to death. It's going to cause the the hair on your neck and arms to raise because you're going to be so scared when you hear this, Samuel. Just just a boy in the temple. And I'm about to give you some gruesome, gruesome news. Notice verse 12, I will fulfill my word against Eli. Remember what his word is? He's going to kick his sons out of the priesthood. They're actually going to die. His two sons will die on the same day. And on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. He's going to wipe out his lineage from the priesthood. They will be massacred. They will be destroyed. In verse 13, And I will declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. And notice why. For the iniquity he knew. We read chapter 2 and we think, you know, Eli's sons are just crazy. What else is he going to do? But now we're finding out, no, he knew about all of these things. And he overlooked their sin. And notice, because his sons were blaspheming God. Now the word for blaspheming, it means to bore holes through something. They were literally drilling holes in the name of God in the temple. And what God has said, I'm going to drill holes through them. They will be destroyed. They will be killed on the same day. Because Eli, you cared more about their reputation and your reputation than my name. And you didn't restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by the sacrifice or offering. Now that's horrible news. Remember Eli in chapter 2, he says, if you sin against man, you can be forgiven. 
but you're boring holes in the name of God, there is no forgiveness. And He's going to totally shun them from the sacrifices. He's not going to allow their sins to ever be atoned for. They are going to be judged forever under the wrath of God. Imagine Samuel. This boy, hearing these words, he goes back to his bed, and he lays until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And that's very symbolic. It's a new day in Israel. Samuel is the one throwing the doors open to the temple. There is a new prophet priest in town. And notice, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. He's laid there all night. How do I tell him that this is really going to come true? How am I going to say this? But notice Eli called to Samuel and he said, Samuel, my son. And he said, again, notice, here I am. This willful servant of God willing to hear from God and willing to speak on behalf of God no matter how difficult it will be. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. Notice, if God has spoken to you, God is present and I want to know what he has said. Don't hide anything from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me. Notice, those are severe words. If you don't tell me what God has said, may the same thing happen to you. May you be wiped out in the same way. Notice, don't hide anything from me. All that He told you. In verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and he hid nothing. And we see his obedience here. We, we, we see this this almost Eli coming into the little boy and grabbing him. What did he say? The Lord has spoken. I've got to hear it. And if you don't tell me the same judgment upon you, and then can you imagine the conversation to the man he respects, a man who is mentoring him, a man who's got a lot of problems, but someone who has shown him the ways of the Lord in many ways. Eli, Hophni and Phinehas will die on the same day. Eli, your heritage and lineage is going to be wiped out. The priesthood will be taken away from you. Imagine the fear and trembling in his little heart. But notice the way Eli responds. And he said, it is the Lord. Not, that's just your interpretation. Did you get it right? Surely he's changed his mind. No, this is the holy God of Israel. It is the holy God. Let him do what seems good to him. What is good and what is right. When the Lord speaks, he's right. And he points to the righteousness of God. Because God is righteous, everything he does is right. Do you stand before the Lord in that way? It is the Lord. In times of difficulty, let him do what seems good to him. Because I know he's right. Are you willing to stand before the Lord in that way? You know how I know you're willing to stand before the Lord in that way? If you're willing to stand before the Word of God in that way. Even when it comes to issues of your sin. If God is righteous, then what he tells you about your sin is right. And it's always right. 
We have a hard time hearing that others could possibly be right. We, we train ourselves to question authority in our life. And, and one of the scarier things we do, even with our kids, is we train them that it could not possibly be an umpire that made a bad call that got my little foo-foo out at first. It, I mean, it, it's not your fault. It's the teacher's fault. It's the coach's fault. It's the policeman's fault. If he wasn't hiding behind that bush, I would have never sped. It's his fault I was speeding. We have a problem with authority. And we have a problem with saying authority is ever right. We want to bow up against it. But when the Lord speaks, His judgment is always right, and we never look for a second opinion. So often when we're confronted with sin, what do we want to do? We want to look for someone else who will agree with me. Someone else who's in my state of life, who is in my situation, and we want to build up a case against what God has said. No, when God speaks about our sin, it's, that's the end of it. His judgments are right. When God says, this is what I'm going to do, it, it, it's what's good to Him, and it is always right for Him. We don't go check with our feelings or worldly wisdom or the opinion of a culture. Often we think about views that come from the Scripture, even clearly stated views on sex and marriage and family, on life and death, on the way that we should order our families in the world. And things we don't like in those categories we, we begin to think, well, that's just, that's just an old concept. Some of us are even convinced that God has just opinions. That, well, that's just God's opinion. He doesn't care if I agree with Him. No, He is the holy God, the righteous judge. And what He says is right, and what He says is true. It's not a dated saying. It's not an ancient viewpoint. And so when He evaluates your lust as being immoral, He's right. When He evaluates your unkind words, and He says that was gossip, He's right. It is. It's a violation of His holy character. When He says you're whining, when your whining is complaining against Him and what He's doing in the world, He is right. When you stand before Him, you must say, He is the Lord. He is right. What He is saying is true. When He evaluates your self-centeredness as a lack of love, He is right. When He evaluates your narcissism as vanity, your individualism as pride that separates you from Him, He is right. There's no second guessing. He is the final authority. You don't refer to the way you were raised and say things like, I know it's sin, but... Or, or one of the hardest things we, we have to deal with is the, the idea that if you don't love your enemies, maybe you've never experienced the love of God. Of all the things I preach here, that is what gets the most kickback. Is when I say, think about the person you hate the most. Now love the, that person the way Jesus loved you. So many of us in that moment go, yeah, but. Yeah, but. 
God can't surely mean that. He can't. That's just, let me tell you, preacher, you're preaching it as if God is serious about that. But I, I want to explain to you that he's just exaggerating to make a point. You know how we say always and never? That's all God is doing. He doesn't really want me to love my enemy. Well, he is the Lord, and he is right. Or when God says you can't be merciful, maybe you've never tasted mercy. He is the Lord. And when he says it, he's serious about it. Because His love overwhelms us to even love our enemies. His mercy overwhelms us to even be merciful for our enemies. And we must stand before those things and say, He is the Lord. He is right. Notice verse 19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. Now remember, the word of the Lord and the presence of the Lord always come together. And notice, he let none of his words fall to the ground. And so from the temple comes the prophet boy who's grown up in the presence of the Lord. And he begins to speak to Israel and pronounce judgment. And he begins to speak to Israel and gives them comfort saying, yeah, you're going to be judged, but there's a king coming. And the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground, meaning they were all fulfilled. They all came true. And notice verse 20, and all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew Samuel was established as a prophet. Now, Verse 1, there is no word, there are no frequent visions, and now we have a word. Now we have a prophet. Now we have one who can, who can actually see with bright eyes the Lord and who can speak with thunder from the Lord. And notice verse 21, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Those are glorious words. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Now they can't do what is right in their own eyes because the Lord is there. And what is the Lord doing? He is speaking. He is speaking through His prophet Samuel. And He appeared again, and the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now notice, the Lord revealed Himself. Read this very carefully. No distractions. Turn the notifications off. For the Lord revealed Himself to Samuel at Shiloh. How did He reveal Himself? By the word of the Lord. You want to know who God is? You want a fresh vision from God today? It's in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. You don't have to guess what God would say to you today. Open up His Word and read it. Someone asked, do you believe God still speaks today? Yes, every time this book is open. Do you believe God is with us? Yes, every time. We hear, we preach, we apply, we live out the Word of God. God is present by the power of His Spirit. He has revealed Himself to, to us in His Word. And here's the glorious thing for us today as we stand on this side of the cross, as we stand on this side of the resurrection. The presence and the Word of God have come to us in one person. Just like we see with Samuel. Samuel is in the presence of God speaking the Word of God. Well, we have one who is the presence of God, but He's also the Word of God in flesh. And He has come to us. And, and, and we don't have to wonder, is God present? Is God speaking? The answer is yes, in Jesus. And He calls us to attention today. There is a call to you today to be present before the Word of God. And what does that mean for you today? It means that you would follow Jesus. You want to see God? 
See Jesus and His Word. Follow Jesus. When, when Jesus comes to you today and says, follow me, take up your cross and follow me, what do you say? Here I am. Here I am. Speak for your servant hears. And the good news for the Christian today is that in Christ, God has done what is right. He's done what is right in Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life, never, died, never sinned, but He's done what is right in the death of Christ. Justice has been paid. And in Him doing what is right on the cross, He's also done what is good for you. And so the Christian can say today, it is the Lord. Let Him do what is right because we know when He does what is right, it is for our good. We, we stand before the Word of God and we say, I'm willing to be evaluated by God's standard, by, by the truth of the Word of God, by His righteousness. He is the standard that must evaluate me. And yet we know we fall short of that standard. But He's still the Lord. And the good news for us today is not only has He said what is right about us, He's called your rebellion sin. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a slip up. It's sin against His holy character. And so what is He going to do about it? Well, He's going to do what is good for you. He sent His Son to live a perfect life and to die the just death for your sin. And on the cross, we find this beautiful thing happens where, where the justice of God, His righteous wrath, and His mercy, the psalmists say, kiss. They come together. And you can look on the rightness of God and the goodness of God at the cross for you. And in Jesus, we have this prophet, we have this priest, we have this king who is not just a word to us from the presence of God. Jesus is a word for us in the presence of God. Do you get that? Do you get that? He is God's word to you. But for the one who believes in Him, He is also God's word for you. Because you know what Jesus is doing right now? Just like Samuel, He is in the presence of God. And the word about you is that you're guilty. God has said it. But you know what Jesus says in the presence of God? Here I am. Here I am. Not guilty. And for the one who believes in Him, you are covered in His righteousness. And He is your word to God today. He is, he, is the, he is your word to God of a righteous, perfect life that you could never live. He has, he has convicted you of your sin. He has said you are guilty. But you can say back to God when you believe in Him, you hold Jesus up and you say not guilty. In His very presence. You see, the sad thing this morning is that God is calling. The Father is calling the same way he was calling Samuel into the presence of God. And only those who believe in Christ will be ushered in with Christ. Only those who believe the gospel will be ushered in to the presence of God. And he's still calling right now. Follow me. Trust in me. Believe in me. And there's a day where your faith will become sight. What, what you believe the Word of God says will become real, tangible. It will all come true. 
But there is a day where the Father will stop calling. The Father will stop calling. And you won't be able to stand before Him and say, I wasn't lost. Because you will be lost forever. Believe in Him today. Let's pray.